0: take a seat, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and, and it. it goes
1: down smooth. Ay! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform.
2: I smoke pot and I like it a lot. Ay! 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 Ay!
1: CannabisRadio.com presents the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation.
3: Hey, this is great. Yeah. Well, on
1: the Ay! Now. Ay! Here's your host,
4: Radical Russ Melville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, December 28th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world, and only four more days left in this miserable 2016. Oh, I'm a little bummed out today, listeners. Uh, if you follow college football at all, you know why. <laughs> Not only did my beloved Boise State Broncos lose their bowl game last night, they lost it in embarrassing fashion. Yeah, it was pretty disappointing. Boise State lost to the Baylor Bears, which means I owe an ounce of fine marijuana, fine Oregon herb, to my friend uh, Cliff Duval, the head of normal of Waco Inc. Of course, Waco is where Baylor is located. Baylor just put a beat down on my Boise State Broncos. It was embarrassing. Uh, it was as if there was no defense there whatsoever. Baylor went matriculated up and down the field with impunity and... To be fair, Boise State did, too, but then committed red zone turnovers, three separate red zone turnovers that could have led to touchdowns and ended up falling with the worst defeat in a bowl game in Boise State's history as a division one school. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm a little bummed out about that, uh, but it's a kind of an exclamation point to the suckage that is the year 2016, aside from us uh, passing our marijuana initiatives, of course. Uh news just broke a second ago while I was getting ready for the show that uh, Carrie Fisher's mother, Debbie Reynolds, has been uh uh taken to the hospital. <laughs> so that's uh a, a update there on that terrible 2016 story. Can we just get done with this year already? My goodness. All right, let's uh let's talk about marijuana, the one good thing that happened in 2016 cuz we got plenty of news to bring to you today. And uh, being that this is the end of 2016, our final week here uh, on the Russ Belville show for this year, uh, we're going to be bringing you some best of interviews for the rest of the week to uh, just uh, take a look at some of the great folks that we talked to throughout this year. So coming up on today's show at half past, we're going to take you back to 420 this year where I was in New York City uh, attending the United Nations General Assembly special session on drugs and crime. And it was there I got to meet some fans and now friends from South Africa. We're going to be bringing you the interview with the Daka couple from South Africa. I met them in the cafeteria there at the United Nations. They'll tell us all about what's happening with marijuana reform in South Africa. Then after that, in the activist agenda, I'm going to bring you my interview from 420 in New York City uh, with Betty Aldworth, the head of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So that's coming up for our interview segments today. Also in this first hour, we'll have time for some drug war data mining. Uh, in the data mines today, I took a look at a study that's been getting a lot of ink uh, and a lot of pixels online. Uh, from UC Davis, which says that after Washington state legalized marijuana, kids' perceptions of harm went down and more of them started smoking. It's a fantastic bit of uh, prohibition propaganda that does the best cherry picking I've seen in a while. We'll uh, debunk all of that coming up in Drug War Data Mines. Also, in behind the headlines, are cannabis focus. We'll be on the concept of indica versus sativa and how Max Montrose, head of the Tricome Institute, says it doesn't really mean what you think it means. All that's coming up right after the Cannabis Radio News, and that's right after this first break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in a minute.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. Cannabisradio.com.
2: Baker. Look for new episodes at CannabisRadio.com, TheRealDirt.com, or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living.
4: Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that
2: we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old.
4: You can still learn something that's gonna make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit
0: happier. A little bit Better
2: the concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com. The Russ Belleville
1: Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges.
4: <coughs> hey, <Mo. coughs> December 28th, 2016. My apologies. The Massachusetts legislature approved a six-month delay in several key provisions of the state's new recreational marijuana law, including the licensing of pot shops, angering backers of the voter-approved measure. The House and Senate passed the bill without a public hearing and without debate during lightly attended informal sessions in both chambers Wednesday. The ballot initiative that allows adults 21 and over to possess and use limited amounts of recreational marijuana and grow as many as a dozen pot plants in their homes was approved by 53.7% of voters on November 8th and took effect on December 15th. The action by lawmakers doesn't change that, but what it's almost certain to do is push back the timetable for opening retail marijuana stores from the beginning of 2018 until the middle of that year. Delaying key deadlines for 6 months will give legislators more time to improve the current law by considering issues that were not included in the ballot question, House Speaker Robert DeLeo said in a joint statement caregivers ability to grow hundreds of colorado marijuana plants which some claim is supplying the black market in and outside of the state is about to be uprooted beginning january 1st the maximum number of plants marijuana caregivers can grow will drop from 495 to 99 one of the most sweeping changes to the caregiver program since colorado voters approved medical marijuana in 2000 The move has been hailed by law enforcement officials as a necessary step to combat what they say are illegal grows masquerading as legitimate caregiver operations, which they fear are helping supply the black market. Towns and cities around the state are taking a cautious approach to the new Maine marijuana law that legalizes marijuana and are considering moratoriums on the sale of the drug within their limits. Maine voters approved the referendum in November and the Secretary of State's office signed off on the results Wednesday, but it could be months before the state completes the rulemaking process governing the legal cultivation and sale of marijuana. Meanwhile, the Maine Municipal Association is advising towns and cities to adopt moratoriums to prevent, quote, unwanted developments end quote, with new marijuana businesses until the regulations, including local guidelines, are approved. Officials in more than 30 municipalities are at least considering local moratoriums and other measures that would ban pot sales. And at least 11 communities, including some of the state's largest cities, such as Portland, South Portland, and Bangor, have okayed six-month moratoriums on marijuana-related businesses. (sighs) A small Southern California town is moving to require a costly permit for residents who want to grow marijuana in their own homes. The Desert Sun reports that the City Council of Indian Wells, population roughly 5,200, passed an ordinance recently that would force home growers to register for a permit and pay $141 a year for the privilege. Growers would have to submit to a home inspection to demonstrate that they're hewing to the six-plant limit mandated by Prop 64 and have adequate ventilation and security on their grow rooms. The council voted for Four to one in favor of the rule. Councilman Ty Peabody, who abstained, told a Desert Sun reporter that, quote, I just don't believe in marijuana, end quote. Richard Mayedich, the attorney who drafted Prop 64, said, quote, I believe requiring a permit to track those persons growing indoors would likely be viewed as a form of reasonable regulation as long as any associated fees didn't result in a de facto ba- ban, end quote. UC Irvine Law School Dean Irwin Chermaninsky disagreed, saying that, quote, this goes significantly beyond what the state law allows local governments to do, end quote. <sighs> A Gooding mother who gave her daughter butter infused with marijuana to treat the girl's seizure-like symptoms has been denied custody of the child. The Idaho Statesman reports that Kelsey Osborne was charged in Twin Falls County with a misdemeanor count of injury to a child. In Jerome County, she fought a legal battle for custody of her children. Osborne gave her three-year-old pot-infused butter to calm her and help with the seizures. When she later took the toddler to the doctor, she tested positive for marijuana, and the doctor reported it. The incident prompted the Department of Health and Welfare to take Osborne's two children and place them in custody of her ex-husband. Her lawyer, Tom Curl, said Thursday that the judge ruled that, for now, Osborne still cannot have custody of her children. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, December 28, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
5: We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio.
2: Seeking a career in cannabis, ready to become the next great fund tender, Increase your knowledge, skills, and higher ability with a TriCom certification today. TriCom Institute is the only cannabis education company in the world with courses that include textbooks, workbooks, and expert-approved and government-certified curriculum. TriCom now offers these courses online. Take the courses at your own pace with twenty-four-seven live human support from anywhere in the world. These courses are perfect for physicians, pharmacists, MMJ parents, or patients. Adult use customers and most of all aspiring bud tenders the course includes full access to the cannabis industry's largest job board and even includes resume building help register for online courses with the cannabis industry's educational leader in science education and training visit tricombinstitute.com today
5: This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platschorn's TheSilverTour.org, supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors, and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop, at hempinc.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: We need to build a wall.
1: Okay, maybe you're high,
4: too. The International Cannabis Business Conference comes to San Francisco, California on February 16th and 17th, 2017. The ICBC San Francisco, Northern California's first business-to-business event since the recent historic election, will bring together top state regulators and industry leaders to discuss permits, business models, and opportunities within the newly enacted laws and landscape. Of course, the ICBC also famously offers some of the best cannabis industry networking, Leveraging our worldwide following to connect wholesalers, brands, distributors, investors, and strategic partners. And don't forget to come early for our VIP reception and stay late for our legendary after party. Join us for the longest continuously running Cannabis Business Conference in California at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square. The one and only International Cannabis Business Conference. Visit internationalcbc.com for tickets today.
1: The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus.
4: Today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to talk about the concept of indica versus sativa. This is usually one of the first things people learn in Marijuana Newbie 101, that there's two different types of of marijuana. There's indicas and there's sativas and the indicas are broad leaf bushy and, and tend to lead to more of a body high. Whereas the sativas are more, uh, are, gangly, longer, kind of tall, uh, thin leaves and tend to have more of a head high, more of a buzzy type of high. And this has been accepted wisdom in the marijuana community for years now and is often the uh, the way people tend to pick out and uh, categorize their marijuana strains for sale or for use. Uh, you'll ask the uh, bud tender, uh, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a sativa dominant or I'm looking for a, an indica dominant. Well, the latest science about this is beginning to upend what we think about sativa and indica as classifying terms. And I'm getting this information from Max Montrose. He is the uh, founder of the Tricome Institute. You can hear their ads on the show from time to time. And uh, Max was also a guest uh, presenter at the uh, Portland Weed Week. And I saw him present on this topic and it's very interesting because what Max says is that indica and, C- and sativa don't really mean much anymore. Uh, a quote from a piece in The Cannabis has Max saying, quote, Unfortunately, most people don't know what indica and sativa truly mean. A lot of people know this thing called sativa, but we have a lot of genomic evidence that supports the idea that the DNA and the chemotype, the chemistry of a sativa, is strictly hemp yeah that's that's gonna blow your mind right that sativas the only sativas out there are actually hemp and what he's trying to point out is that cannabis strains now are incredibly hybridized and so it's almost impossible to determine whether something's a sativa or an indica there's just so many different uh uh, genetic markers that are involved here that really the difference between sativa and indica is irrelevant. In fact, in his demonstration, Max talked about how uh, some people were characterizing a particular strain as a sativa. And then when they went and did the genomic research on it, they found that thing was actually much more of an indica type of strain. According to Max, the real definitions we're going to need in the future are not whether a plant is indica or sativa. He says in this piece, quote, it's terpene dependent. It's the terpenes that will dictate the psychoactivity that we'll experience from cannabis, not really the cannabinoids. And this was a fascinating thing to hear. Now, uh, I've always understood that THC, the psychoactive constituent of cannabis, can be moderated by CBD. We've understood that something that's a lot of THC and very little CBD is going to have a much more psychoactive effect. That's why, like a Marinol pill, for example, that's all synthetic THC with no CBD whatsoever – can be a really bad trip compared to regular cannabis. We've also found uh, that CBD got bred out of the plant as people were seeking the higher THC experience. But according to Max and the Trichome Institute, how THC affects us is regulated by the CBD. It can be down or up regulated by the CBD, but how it affects us can be affected by the terpenes. In fact, he says that it's myrcene. That can cause what we tend to feel is the sativa versus indica difference. That is the strains with less than 0.4% mercene tend to be more tend to make THC act like a body high, whereas the strains with greater than 0.4% mercine tend to make the THC flip and become more of a head high. Maybe I've got that backwards. But the point was, is the mercine made the difference in how the THC was activated and perceived by the people that were consuming the cannabis.
7: I support a change in law to end federal criminal
4: penalties for possession
7: of up to one ounce of marijuana.
4: A blast from the past when the president of the United States actually suggested decrim on the federal level. That was Jimmy Carter from 1976 or 77, I think. That sound means that it's time for our 20 after break. Happy 420 to the friends in the mountain time zone. And uh, we'll start looking for those labels that tell us how much mercine is in a particular strain. Turns out mercine is highest in the strains that tend to be called indica. Hmm. Maui, waui,
7: Acapulco gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you
6: heard about PayQuick? Okay. Tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com.
7: Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome to my world, world, world. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share.
4: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at FingerboardExtension.com.
1: Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on
4: this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Maybe you saw the headline from Scientific American Online that read Teens' Views on Marijuana Change After Legalization. Numerous media outlets repackaged the story, and it was based on a study from the University of California at Davis, and it's a perfect example of prohibition propaganda at work. Let's start. Here's here's the claim from the Scientific American piece in Washington state, eighth graders perception of marijuana's harmfulness fell by about 14 percent from before legalization 2010 to 2012 to afterward. 2013 to 2015. Similarly, among 10th graders, the perception of harmfulness decreased by about 16%. Additionally, the proportion of kids reporting marijuana use in the previous month rose 2% among 8th graders and about 4% among 10th graders over that same period. Oh, okay. So... The headline, Teens Views on Marijuana Change After Legalization. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that teens' views on marijuana changed after legalization. It was that Washington teens' views changed after marijuana legalization. Okay, okay. But they just mentioned eighth and tenth graders. Aren't, aren't high school seniors also teens? Well, Scientific American explains, quote, There were no significant changes in perceived marijuana harmfulness or use among 12th graders in Washington. However, the researchers speculate that older students may already have a fully formed opinion of marijuana. (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's not that the Washington teens views on marijuana changed so much as younger Washington teens views changed on marijuana following legalization. A legalization, by the way, that happened in late 2012, but didn't provide for the state's first legal marijuana shop until July of 2014. Hmm. Okay. So why are we looking just at Washington? I mean, I understand that Colorado legalized marijuana in that same time frame. So did the younger teens in that state also find marijuana less harmful and increase their usage of it? Well... Scientific American explains, quote, Additionally, the researchers didn't see any significant before and after legalization differences among students in Colorado. Possibly, they say, this might be because adolescents there were exposed to a robust medical marijuana industry before its recreational use was legalized. (laughs) Oh. Oh, okay, I see. Since 2009, the existence of commercial medical marijuana transactions in Colorado already made those teens less fearful of marijuana and more likely to use it because because Washington state's commercial medical marijuana transactions since 2009 uh, somehow don't count. Uh, I guess it's because they were technically illegal and, you know, teenagers really care about such things. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, folks, you know me, I like to look shit up. And when they refer to this data, I like to fact check it. And according to the UC Davis researchers, They use data from the annual Monitoring the Future study. The problem for me is that Monitoring the Future doesn't provide state-level data online. And I don't know how the UC Davis people got a hold of it. But there is another data set. It's the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And it's a larger survey. And it does provide me with state-level data to peruse. Unfortunately, I can't break it down by 8th, 10th, and 12th graders But I can break it down by the 12 to 17 age group that shaves off the 18 year olds who'd be in 12th grade who are more likely to use marijuana. But it also adds the 12 year olds who aren't in eighth grade yet who probably use marijuana less. So I think it's kind of a wash. Let's see how that stacks up against the UC Davis hypothesis. At first glance, the data seems to back up UC Davis at least about Washington, they saw the greatest decrease in harm perception from 2009 to 2014. It went down 42%. And their teen use shot up by over a quarter. And the other state to legalize, Colorado, saw its harm perception drop by over a quarter, and its usage increase by over a quarter. So, hey, maybe there's something there. The two states that legalized, perception dropped, and use went up. But if you look deeper at the only two other states that posted greater increases than the two legalized states you find utah which increased uh usage by about half and north dakota which increased by over a quarter and if i recall correctly they didn't legalize marijuana and they didn't have any active medical commercial transactions did they In fact, since 2009, Utah has consistently been the state with the greatest perception of harm from marijuana, and North Dakota has consistently been in the top 10 for states with the greatest perception of harm from marijuana, and yet they had two of the top four increases. In fact, they had the top two increases. Hmm. Here's some other tidbits of information we can get from all of this data. Six of the top 10 states with the greatest decrease in perception of harm were prohibition states. Three of the top 10 states with the greatest decrease in the perception of harm also saw decreases in marijuana use. Over half of the states saw declines in teen marijuana use, despite every state having a declining perception of harm. Massachusetts perception of harm decreased the least it's been virtually steady since 2009 yet their teen marijuana use decreased by 13% Minnesota, Tennessee, Ohio and Illinois are all right in the middle of the pack right near the US average for the decline in perception of harm and none of those states had medical marijuana in that time frame yet Ohio and Illinois use declined by double digits Minnesota and Tennessee use went up. California, you know, this this idea that, you know, Colorado had a robust industry and so the kids already changed their minds. Well, California had the most robust medical marijuana market predating Colorado and Washington by about a decade. And yet California's perception of harm dropped a quarter and its usage remained the same. Iowa. Iowa saw the greatest decrease in monthly use. Iowa's monthly use dropped over a quarter, yet its decline in perception of harm is almost the same as the U.S. average. And finally, two of the top 10 states that had the lowest decrease in perception of harm saw increases in marijuana use. So there does not seem to be a correlation here between declining perception of harm and rising use among teens. Here's the bottom line, folks. When we've spent decades trying to convince kids that smoking pot is going to scramble their brains and lead straight to heroin, well, of course they're going to perceive a regular marijuana use as less harmful the more they're exposed to realistic information about it. As teens see more adults using it legally without health and legal repercussions, of course they're going to fear it less. Using teens' realization that they've been fed reefer madness for drug education is no way to gauge whether they'll use marijuana. Isn't it remarkable how far they'll stretch to find any nugget of harm about legalization, but they'll ignore the fact that these days we're seeing the lowest levels of drug, alcohol, and cigarette use by teens ever recorded.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: How high do you like your profit margin?
1: Cannabisradio.com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show.
2: The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and, I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me own crap, channel. You know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
4: When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. One of America's leading exports over the past 50 years has been the global war on drugs. Through U.N. treaties, we have bent the world to accept our marijuana prohibition. Learn how our allies in Europe are fighting for their freedom as we go across the pond. Good day, Tokers and Tokets. Once again, I'm here in the United Nations uh, cafeteria. And it just so happens that I've run into another set of international guests. I am here with the Dacha couple. You said it correctly. South Africa. I, I studied. <laughs> I'm a radio guy. I have to learn how to pronounce things. So uh, Dacha, of course, we were speaking to Jamaicans earlier. Okay. They, they call Ganjaman, it ganja. Ganja man. But America, we just call it weed. Yep. But uh, tell us uh, your names and what the Dacha couple is all about.
0: Uh, my name's Myrtle Clark, and um, the Dacher couple was a term coined by the South African media after it hit the newspapers that we were arrested in our home on charges of possessing Dacha, and um, we decided to sue the South African government uh, on charges of in, uh, enacting unlawful laws. So the newspapers got hold of it, and that's how come we called the Dacha couple.
8: And, and my name's Jules Stubbs. I'm the other half of the Dacha couple, and Uh, we had three choices Russ we could have either faced seven years in jail for possession because that's how it is in South Africa or we could have paid a bribe because that's how it is in South Africa white people don't really get to jail in South Africa we have some money so we could have done that uh, but that would have given us a criminal record, and we travel a lot. So we would never have got a visa. We'd have a 10-year suspended. So you know what? We just fought it, and we're fighting it. And we've set a precedent in South African law. And now we're hobnobbing it at the United Nations. And 10 minutes ago, they wouldn't let me in because I have the word cannabis on my shirt. Whoa. Uh, so we're having a, a
4: conference on international drug policy. But we can't have the word canvas be seen. <laughs> my
8: goodness, people might start talking about it. That's right. <laughs> I, I was absolutely incredulous. It happened this morning, and now today, because I've only got one shirt on, and my my hotel room's twenty blocks away, I still have the same shirt on. So you can see me perspiring here because I've had to put a hoodie over the top of it all <laughs> so I stay legal, dude. Uh, so, so your case uh, got prosecuted, and it's over? No, oh, no. So we've so- only just kind of begun.
0: Um, yeah, so it was in 2010 when this when this all started but it's obviously been a like long road since then we're waiting now for a new date because it was meant to be it meant to start in the high court on the 10th of March but then it was postponed again because we've got so many expert witnesses coming over to South Africa to testify we need 20 court days so now we're just waiting for our sort of the high legal beagles to organize a court date because going to be 20 court days so um we hope to before the middle of the year to announce the new court date so that we can move on yeah you,
8: you
4: mentioned briefly uh white people don't go to jail no. in south africa that's kind of like america you know it's kind of like america
8: however um it's a kind of a reverse situation in south africa we believe that most of the people that are arrested or intimidated or extorted are white people it's kind of different the arrest rate is higher for whites than it is for blacks we believe because white people have got more to extort from them if you've got a nice car and you look as if you've got some nice clothes then the cops go hmm we might be able to get something out of this because a lot of this stuff just stops on the side of the road nobody goes to you might get put in jail for the weekend but during that weekend you might get the docket to disappear you might get a tout lawyer to pay the right bribe to the right people so that's what we mean There's For sure, the disparity in incarceration is the same as it is in the USA. There are more people of colour in jails in South Africa than there are Caucasians because most uh, Caucasians manage to get their way out of it just with resources, basically. And we, we've, sat, I've personally sat in a South African jail on occasion three times, and some of the people that are sitting in there are just sat there because they don't have any bail. That's the only crime they've committed, is not having the amount of bail to post to get out. And Myrtle has just dealt with a Rastafarian man Outside Cape Town, he was languishing in a police cell for four months because he didn't have what is it? One thousand five hundred. Uh, hundred US. He didn't have hundred dollars bail, and now he's been there for four months. Wow, oh,
4: that's silly, isn't it? How much uh, possession amount does it take for these charges to get?
0: Um, anything, anything. We, anyway. we, we've we've yep. we've seen convictions for 0.5 of a gram. Oh.
8: Or as Uh,
4: I like to call it, out of marijuana. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a garrick in the
8: bottom of your bag. We uh, we, we were actually, uh, we were were arrested for, uh, we we had a, a, a quantity of cannabis, but the law says that if you have over 115 grams, 115, you are a dealer. Does that sound like science to you, Russ? 115 grams is about 4 ounces. Yeah, it's, about, it's, uh, it's 5 ounces, yeah. yeah, it's about 5 ounces. So if you have that on your possession, you are automatically a dealer. And now we're talking about some serious jail time. Because if a guy has three cases of beer in his fridge, ah, he's a beer salesman. That's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> he could be just stocking it. up. No, not no. at all. <laughs> oh, the disparity. And amount.
0: if you have 114 grams, you're not a dealer. But if you've got 116 grams, you are. So At, no, no, no. at
8: the time, uh, we know that it's very easy to actually uh, argue away these particular charges because for there to be a dealing charge, there has to have been dealing. There has to be ganja, cannabis, dacha, and money in exactly the same place at the same time. So what they do is they intimidate you on the spot because a dealing charge is jail time. So once, once, once people are scared, they make stupid moves. And that's all the cops are waiting for you to do, you know. They're making you incriminate yourself just by them scaring the crap out of you.
4: Yeah, I saw uh, a meme cartoon on Facebook the other day that showed the squirrel stopped in the middle of the road. And they say the squirrel goes 90% across the road and then stops. And what kills him is him trying to go back the other way. (laughs) He says that's the same thing when people get caught with drugs is... They're the squirrel that that's stopped, and they panic, that's and they right. get themselves that's a great busted analogy. Worse. That's right.
8: Yeah. And we see it time and again. And we've got a little booklet called Know Your Rights, because loads of people in South Africa don't actually know that there is a procedure. A, there's a proper procedure to be arrested. You have rights, and at that point, when you're busted, people don't think they have any rights. So we produce produced this booklet, which is now version 4. And right at the very beginning, it says, Just shut up. Say nothing sign nothing. Don't wind them up. Just take it on the chin. If you get arrested on a Friday, which is modus operandi, you're not going to get out till Monday. That's how it is. They're going to put you in a jail for three days and punish you. The alleged cannabis user will now be punished in the state jail for three days. And at that point, the minute you start tuning the cops back, they're going to make your life miserable. You're not going to eat. You won't get any water. So uh, what's the status of your case now? And, uh, okay,
0: so pending, pending new date <laughs> okay. uh, in the high court. And then obviously um, all evidence is led in the high court. And then as, as our legal team say, well, once we're through the other side of the high court, we can breathe a bit easier. Then it will most probably go through the Supreme Court of Appeals. And then onto the Constitutional Court, which is obviously the the highest court in the land. And we've got some really amazing witnesses coming over. We have Donald Abrahams confirmed, we have Carl Hart confirmed. Um, Yeah, so because we're not a we're 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 not about we're not sick and we don't want to make socks.
5: Um we just want to get
0: stoned. Actually. We like being stoned. So So that's the (laughs) bottom line of our case.
8: We we don't believe in recreational, medical, nothing. We don't see any distinction whatsoever. We are fit and well and healthy because we use the cannabis plant. That's that's it. And all the people that come to us at our non-profit company looking for cannabis as medication and they're sick, not one of them has a relationship with the plant. Not one of them. 400, 500 of them, all of them. They come to us because they're sick, because they haven't used their plants all their lives. So we're doing this from a human rights angle. It is our right to put whatever we want in our bodies, and it is enshrined in the South African Bill of Rights that that is the case. But, of course, it's not the case. Just like it is in your Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence, all this blah, blah, blah about human rights, but... Oh, yeah, okay.
4: Well, you didn't see that the asterisk at the bottom that says, except if it has to do with drugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's it's a caveat at the bottom. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a tiny fine print those uh, founding fathers put in. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in South Africa, uh, what's it like um, trying to change these laws? A lot of government uh, oppression, a lot of them trying to turn be- turn this there back. There is no political no, will. not really. Not really.
0: Um, you know, we, we are kind of steer clear of of the politicians. It's only been in the last uh, sort of 18 months that we've started to engage with the broader drug policy debate and policy in general because we're fighting this through the courts. You know, I don't know if you've heard, seen South Africa in the news lately. Our president is not exactly the most popular person in the land because he spent $14 million renovating his private residence.
8: so um, And he was found guilty by the, by the highest com- court in the land. The yeah. judge president said that the, the president of the country is guilty of embezzlement. Wow. So he went on national television and said, I apologize. Moving on
3: nothing happened <laughs> oh, wow yeah, just, uh,
8: excuse me but the story, can I say that my sister was there said yeah this same guy Zuma huh, was accused of being raping
3: the secretary he yep, yep. said what uh, did you rape your secretary well she didn't she like it she got AIDS uh, yeah but wash myself that yeah, awesome. yeah, that's yeah. Right. so
0: that you, We have a, uh, a cartoonist called Zapiro, who's very famous for, he, every time he draws the president, there's a little shower head sticking out the top of his head. As a, as a reference yeah. to the
8: fact that he slept with, he slept actually with a relative. Ah, oh, it was sorry. a relative that he slept with, and um, he was un- unprotected sex, and he said, well, I had a shower afterwards. <laughs> Yeah. So this is this is the leader of the of our country, and um, so this is the
4: person we're expecting yeah. to make science and evidence-based not decisions exactly. On. So that is that is ex-
0: that's yeah. exactly why we are not. Doing obviously, it's not the courts that change the law; it's the, it's the politicians that change the law ultimately. But we have to get this through the courts first, because one thing that out of um, it's about two weeks ago, the constitutional court judgment on the president it gave us incredible confidence in our courts, in our judicial victory, system. Yeah. It's really, really strong. We've got a strong set of judges on the constitutional court, and, um, and we got you know, a we're going to get there. We've got a very strong constitution, actually in. Many Mexico. Everybody knows about the the four people in Mexico who got the judgment there. They used the South African constitution there as an example for that case. And we've been in contact with the the, the defendants in that case. And the South African constitution is, is, is famous in the circles where constitutions are famous. You know, it's like, yeah.
7: Did you have something?
3: And I'm just asking what was the finding? The constitution that could help us out of the prohibition uh, strategies. Uh, what is
8: the point? in the it, constitution? It, Well, it's just based on human rights. A very, yeah. very strongly worded human rights declaration, South African Constitution.
3: Yeah, but uh, they could always say uh, we have to control drugs, etc. Is it as well? You know, you know, you know, you know the
8: way that the Mexican judgment was worded was so poignant. It was the fact that if it, it's impossible for me yes. to. Uh, to mature the way I want to and develop my personality if I can't use cannabis. I use ah. cannabis in my life, and if I can't do that, ah, okay. I cannot fully develop my personality. Ah, yeah. That was Deve- the ju- And that was the judgment. Cannabis. That's a very, very poignant thing ah. to say. Yes. And I'm hoping a South African judge will say the same thing to me one day. So we're hoping for a decision that recognizes a freedom of conscience. Yes. So-
4: You've got it in one.
8: That's my fight. Cognitive liberty. Exactly. The sovereignty of your body. Yeah. It's not rocket it science. Alexander Yeah. Thing?
4: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. If I'm... If this is the border, and if I'm not the sovereign, right. past this border. Completely. Yeah.
0: And it's also it, it, the whole principle of a victimless crime is also...
8: Yeah, no, right. Our mantra, actually, on, a, on our stickers is, I am not a criminal. Very because I'm not. I'm a really hard-working, tax-paying person, but I happen to use the cannabis plant. So...
4: Check this uh, check this out, folks. Go to the website, dachacouple.co.za. I even said yeah, za. No, <laughs> <laughs> and that's
8: a non-profit, non-profit company.
4: Fieldsofgreenforall.org.za. Yeah. Where South Africa
8: come from? We live in Johannesburg. I'm actually How an was Englishman. I, I was, I'm an Englishman. I've been in South Africa for 25 years. It's my uh-huh. home. I don't do Europe very well. I do Africa very well. But on the other hand, it was very nice to leave Africa last week because, man, it can drive you crazy, that place. Huh? Yeah. It's the Wild West. Yeah. It all happens all the time. That's one thing that does happen in Africa, stuff, all the time. It really is a dynamic place, and you never know where you, where you stand. It's a very brutal country. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of murders. There's a lot of very angry, starving people, and it's been really cool to come to Manhattan. But I must admit, I was very, very surprised coming into a drug policy meeting to be told that I can't wear a cannabis t-shirt. That's just out to lunch. I'm sorry, folks. It's well, t- t- it, it, fits, it
4: fits along with uh, they held a UN session, a special, uh, you know, one of the side sessions on youth, listening to the voices of youth in the drug war. There was not a single young person on the panel. Um, and all the SSDP people uh, who showed yes. up, all the kids who showed up to go to it, weren't let in. Right,
8: well...
0: <laughs> isn't that just how it is yeah, in this yeah. building? It's yeah. like bunch yeah. of stuffy
8: old white men running the show, eh? Yeah. It is. And w- But one thing I did hear on the first day was, for the first time ever, a president, yes. not an ex-president, a real live incumbent president, say, legalize already. Ooh, and that yes. was the oh, man was from Mexico, Mexico. The Mexican president really he said no cannabis he said we've gone past decriminalization criminalization now just legalize this plant once and for all and let's get on with it and i've never heard an incumbent president say that ever so that was quite cool but nobody actually reported it yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's too big
4: <laughs> this has been an amazing discussion with the dacha couple check them out online couple.co.za. thank you so much for talking to hey, us Russ,
8: it's, it's an honor to come and see you because you keep us going in South Africa. We feel as if we're in a backwater. You know, we're at the bottom of next stop, Antarctica. Yeah. It's a long way from here. Yes, it is. So all your writings and all your words and your show is very important to us and to activists in South Africa because we consider you're on the front line. Because if there's going to be a blog post, it'll be yours first. You've always got the foot in the door first. So we commend you for that. Well,
4: thank you. I, I hope to visit South Africa, Johannesburg someday, and I'll give you a ring when I do. Oh,
8: uh, no, you should. Yes, yeah.
0: please, too. If you need a bed for the night, please come oh. and stay with us.
4: Uh, thanks so much to Jules and Myrtle for the offer. And in 2017, that's one of my goals is to make it down to Johannesburg and uh, do some recordings down there. Give you some live shows from the bottom of the African continent. That'd be a lot of fun. If you want to help me in that endeavor, we are raising travel funds for 2017. You can uh, send your donations via PayPal at Russ at We are listener-supported Cannabis Talk Radio. When we return, another Best of 2016, my interview with Betty Alberth, head of Students for Sensible Drug Policy on 420 in New York.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network.
9: Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform
4: I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. It's Senator Mark Madsen of Utah. Mark, welcome to the show. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. They obviously have to go to some other state.
7: Representative Lou Fredericks. We're going to get something on the order of nonviolent Possession offenses.
4: State Representative Kathy Tilton. Where does it go from personal use It's The Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com.
1: The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Activism begins with act. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda.
4: Radical Russ here at Dag Skilled Plaza, UN building area in New York City. We've run into Betty Alberth, the Executive Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Betty, how are you doing?
9: I could not be better, Russ. Could not be better. Thanks so much for uh, being here with us. Uh,
4: it's been my pleasure. Your SSDP 10th conference was my first ever, and I really, really enjoyed it. Give me your thoughts on the conference, and we'll talk a little bit about this.
9: Uh, the conference was incredible. We had 150 more people at conference than ever before, more than 100 more students than ever before. And uh, as Tom Angel just reminded me, think of how- how many new Chalene titles we made at that conference, right? Like, we, we brought so many young people together to have these incredibly important and in-depth conversations about drug policy and how it affects their lives and how they can continue to spread the message. Um, and it had a wonderful celebration of our network and our community.
4: Do you have any count of how many states and countries attended?
9: As a matter of fact, it was at least 35 states and at least 16 countries represented. I know, it was so exciting. And we were able to partner with the Caravan. The Caravan for Peace and Justice came up and met us at conference. They participated in our conference and... We had our first-ever session in Spanish, uh, and then we all rode up this morning together to New York. And that's what we're seeing
4: here with all the artwork and displays?
9: Yes, here today we are seeing art produced by young people um, uh, displayed here on Commercial uh, Gold Plaza right outside the United Nations. Um, and uh, have about, oh I'd say a hundred students and, and many other community members here to participate in this action and um, spread the word a bit about uh, these this um, uh, you know the, the work that we're doing to end the war on drugs.
4: What a wonderful time for it. The United Nations General Assembly is happening starting tomorrow, running over 420 and then 421. Uh, I assume you'll be there.
9: We will be inside the United Nations and at various associated events uh, outside with the, uh, the Museum of Drug Policy and the Stop the Harm Coalition, uh, both of which are working to ensure that we're spreading the message so far beyond New York um, and are able to um, you know, enlist as many allies in this movement to end the war on drugs as possible.
4: What, if any, are the differences between a 2006 SSDP freshman and a 2016 SSDP freshman?
9: That is such a good question. (laughs) I I don't think I've ever gotten that question before. you know, a 2016 SSDP freshman is just like any other freshman, which means they are somewhat more socially engaged, somewhat more civically engaged, and have higher expectations of their political engagement and the results that they expect from it um, than ever before. We've seen a, a consistent upslope for the past mm, 30 years, maybe, in terms of you know the impact the young people think that they can have on the world around them and the investments that they're ready to make in it. I think that the 2016 SSDP year, though, is grappling with some, uh, you know, some real important questions that are bubbling to the surface here uh, in drug policy reform in general. Um, you know, we're looking now at. Uh, medical treatment, uh, 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 medical use of psychedelics. We're looking at, you know, uh, an an opioid problem that is ballooning, Um, although I'm not quite ready to use the word epidemic. Uh, We're looking at, uh, you know, a, a set of marijuana policy reforms that really aren't helping the communities that have been most harmed by the war on drugs. And we are working to make sure that they are having those conversations in a, in an authentic way right now, that they're having those conversations um, in, a, in a way that is actionable. You know, it's one thing to sit around in a, a, a room full of people who agree with you and talk about this stuff, but what we do at SSP is give them the the, school, the skills and the resources and the tools that they need to take that back to campus and turn it into something. And our 2016 students are just as ready as our 2006 students were, and our 19 students our
4: 2006 year was looking at the possibility of medical marijuana in 2016 they're looking at the possibility of medical lsd so that is quite a jump uh you were a big part of legalization in colorado in 2012 we're three and a half years into it we've got a number of reports back uh what can we tell people about how legalization has affected students and young people uh, in colorado
9: Well, what we've seen is not only arrests for cannabis go down, but arrests for drugs across the board. And what that means is that we are uh, we are there are fewer people in Colorado, and especially young people who are disenfranchised from their futures. We are no longer punishing quite as many people with um, you know the very real impacts of a drug charge, like not being able to get a job, or housing, or education. And um, you know, I for one am quite pleased with the results so far in Colorado. I think that the social outcomes have been, um, you know, relatively stable, which is kind of what we expected. we were certainly not um, expecting the world to change overnight. What we can say definitively is the prohibitionists were dead wrong.
2: You know,
4: they'll say that the, the school-related expulsions are way up or there's more kids in rehab or uh, the terrible things that they say. Where, where are they getting this and, and why does this still persist?
9: You know, One of the difficulties is that we've been measuring all of this wrong for a long time, and we still are measuring it. If we're measuring the number of kids who are caught in school with drugs, then that is the wrong measurement. What we need to be measuring is how kids are doing overall. And, um, you know, when the... uh, So sorry. That's okay.
4: Uh, We we got ourselves with some other (laughs) interviews backing into
9: us. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot going on here today.
4: It was an amazing time over the 420 week this year in New York City. Mark Kleiman had a uh, presentation with Bowtech and others on public policy at New York University. The United Nations met. Uh, There was the Museum of Drug Policy. It was an amazing week there in New York City. We'll be taking a look back at some of the other amazing events from 2016 in our next two shows, our last two shows of 2016. Stay tuned, because we still have another hour left on this show. It's Toker Talk Radio coming up next, right after the break. Phone lines will be open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios in beautiful, legal, southeast Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, Tokers!
1: This is the Russ Belville Show. The Russ Belville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You
3: take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.
1: It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people on dope? Or you can toke. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk.
3: I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or
1: you can toke and talk
7: in federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we
1: talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio.
2: By the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard. Have a ball!
1: Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Freedom,
2: freedom, hey, this is great. freedom. of yes, cannabis. Freedom.
1: Plus your calls. Live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap
7: on backwards, listening to the animal man and Snoopy, Snoopy poop dog.
1: What's
6: to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality.
9: is it real? Don't tease me.
6: We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana and and the, the next thing
1: you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host. The guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ
4: Bellville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio. So glad to have you here joining us on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Or evening if you're farther east. Earlier in the show, we uh, did a piece on UC Davis, this study about uh, teen perceptions of uh, marijuana's harms in Washington state versus the increase in use in Washington state. And this is supposedly supposed to scare us. Oh, my God. We legalized marijuana and more kids are using it quick. We better start locking up brown people again. <laughs> I mean, that's really like, what's their, what's their response, right? Like, uh, suppose we study legalization and it does turn out that, oh my God, we legalized pot and teen use went up 25%. So what, so what, what would the response be? We need to go back to prohibition time to start locking people up again. Folks, I don't care if the teen use goes up, we're going to have to find some other way to deal with it. If, if we were to compare what the teen use is of alcohol compared to how much teen use would be if we prohibited it again, would that be reason enough to start locking people up for beer? I can probably make the case that teen use would go down if we completely criminalized alcohol to the level we completely criminalized marijuana. I can bet you dollars to donuts that the teen use is going to go down. Is that justification to lock up adults for beer? If it's not, then there's no justification to lock up adults for marijuana. This is one of the fears I've got as we continue to legalize marijuana. And I've got a lot of them because it's kind of my job to think of worst case scenarios. But the fear I've got is that we that we might bet too much. We might put too much credence into the values uh, to the results that we get from marijuana legalization. Right. Oh, we legalized marijuana. We made. So much in tax money. Oh, we legalized marijuana. We reduced all these arrests. Oh, we legalized marijuana and teen use didn't go up. Oh, we legalized marijuana and traffic fatalities went down. Right? And these are good things to note. I, I don't disparage that at all. I mean, it's great that we're getting that info out there. But what if it changes? What if? What if after you know maybe that the legalization in Washington and Colorado didn't really. Have too much of an effect and adding Oregon and Alaska didn't have too much of an effect because these were small states and and the general national perceptions hadn't changed. But what if by legalizing in California and making the entire West Coast legal and and starting some legalization in Maine and Massachusetts, what if we see a reversal in some of our numbers? Already, I can point to some numbers in Washington State and in Colorado where the 2015 traffic fatality numbers are are up. And what if we start to see the teen use rates go up? and And what if, as the price of marijuana plummets, which I predict it will, we see all those tax revenues starting to go down? What if all these things happen? What if bad things start to happen after legalization? If we've gotten ourselves... Too dedicated to the point that if we do X, Y will happen. If we legalize, good things will happen. If we get ourselves too attached to that, what happens when the bad things start happening? I guess we better go back to locking up black and brown people, right? This is why I always like to, to, to make the point that while it's great that X, Y, or Z happens because of legalization, that's not why we legalize. We're not legalizing to to raise tax money. It's a nice benefit. We're not legalizing to uh reduce teen use, but that's a nice benefit. We're legalizing because it is wrong to lock people up for using weed. It is wrong to punish people for making a safer choice when it comes to recreation. It is wrong to put roadblocks in front of people trying to treat their illnesses with a non-toxic herb. It's just wrong. And whether or not changing that fact leads to more harm or less harm is irrelevant. It's just wrong. I mean, hell, we'd have a, we'd have a whole lot less crime if we didn't have a Fourth Amendment, right? Like if cops could just stop and search anybody at any time for any reason, we'd sure have a lot less crime, wouldn't we? But do you want to pay, pay that price? Just the, the fact that a, a bad statistic goes down or a good statistic goes up is not reason enough to set public policy when we're talking about people's inalienable rights. And I believe it's an inalienable right for us to be able to use cannabis. All right. We're going to expand on that thought when we come back talk a little bit more about our civil rights about our inalienable rights our hemp heritage we were founded by a bunch of drunken hemp farmers i find it hard to believe they would think we didn't have a right to that plant we're back right after the break stick around
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: Every strain, every sale, every medical study, keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network.
9: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Fuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Boober Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way.
7: Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilt Radio.
8: You're going to be a great granddad. Pretty cool. <laughs>
7: Morgan is Ray Dawn's son. Uh, Morgan and his wife Tracy, they've been trying to have a baby for quite some time. <laughs> Did you hear what I said to Morgan? What? Do you know who the father is? <laughs> <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to
1: my world. world, world. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The National Wildlife Refuge for Marijuana Unicorns.
4: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at FingerboardExtension.com.
1: Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. All right,
4: welcome back. About 10 after the hour here, and we were talking about our inalienable rights as cannabis consumers and how legalization is just understanding and and accepting and and enshrining that right. And, And not even really... Not even really to the extent that we deserve it, right? I mean, we're just barely crawling out of our uh, uh, our Emancipation Proclamation at this point. We're we're still not to the point of loving the Virginia or the election of Barack Obama, right? We're still at the just barely no longer being uh, uh, persecuted phase, and it's something that's frustrating to me because I think there's a there's a huge gap in how we perceive, I think, I know there's a huge gap between how we perceive reform and how the general public and our opponents are perceiving this. For example, oftentimes you'll hear people talk about how popular medical marijuana is. Oh my God, 28 states have medical marijuana. 89% of the public says people ought to be able to use medical marijuana. And when we hear that, we think of, medical marijuana. Like, okay, I can grow a whole bunch of pot plants and I can harvest the buds from them and I can process them into oil and I can use that for my medical purposes, uh, whether I have cancer, a backache, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, or I'm just bored on a Saturday night. That's what we think. Some of us are even in that all uses medical camp, right? It's all medical. But, folks, our opponents and the general public don't think of it that way. When those polls are coming out where people are saying 70 80% support for medical marijuana, they're talking about what they think medical marijuana is, which is, okay, you're extremely sick and suffering. You're close to your deathbed, and you've tried all the other medications and all the other surgeries, and nothing else works, and so as a last resort, we'll let you smoke some pot. That's what medical marijuana is to a lot of people. Not so much out West. Out West here, we understand, you know, guy wants to grow a pot garden and so forth. It's no big deal. But when we start looking eastward, that's more akin to what the concept of medical marijuana is. So don't be thinking that, hey, we've got it made because everybody loves medical marijuana. Well, everybody loves highly regulated Doctor supervised, no quacks involved, no uh, pretend backaches on your deathbed, terminal illness, medical marijuana, sure. But 20 year old skateboarder standing in line at a tent at a rap concert to tell some doc there that he's got anxiety and we'll pay 40 bucks for a card so we can go smoke some pot at the cannabis cup. Uh, that's not the medical that's getting 89% support, folks. And on that same that same idea in that same vein is the idea of what legalizing marijuana means. For us, we have that that tagline, treat marijuana like alcohol. Treat marijuana like alcohol. Legalize it, right? Have it be legal. And to us, what that means is, is we're actually leaving a word out of that phrase. And that is treat marijuana users like alcohol users. When we think of that, when we think of legalization, we think of it as being like beer. We should be able to buy it. We should be able to brew it. We should be able to drink it. We should have places we can go to meet other people to enjoy their company and and drink it and use it like, like beer. Right? We, we should be treated equally. We, like our friends who drink beer, we shouldn't be fired from our jobs just because we got drunk on the weekend. Like our friends that drink beer, we shouldn't be uh, discriminated against uh, when we're trying to get jobs or loans or security clearances or child custody just because we might enjoy a glass of wine or two. But that's not what the other side hears. That's not what the other side thinks. For the other side, for the the general public out there, when legalization is hitting their ballot, they're not seeing that and going, by God, it's about time that we extended the rights and equalities and freedoms to cannabis consumers that we've been giving to alcohol consumers all this time. No, that's not what they're thinking. When they're seeing that legalization on the ballot, they're going, Jesus, finally locking people up for this hasn't worked. Let's stop doing that stupid war on drugs. And that's a long ways away from saying, I love cannabis consumers and they ought to be treated equally and they ought to have lounges and and have the same rights and responsibilities as beer drinkers. Uh Uh, What they're thinking is, let's stop the failed war on drugs. Let's stop doing the thing that really, really, really sucks. But left unsaid there is the part where. But it's not really like alcohol. We're going to monitor it and make it really secure and make sure you can only buy a certain amount of it and, and that that certain amount that you buy has been tested and inspected and and you can only grow a tiny amount of plants and uh, it, not in Washington state, mind you, but in other states, you can just buy just a few a handful of plants and then, oh, yeah, we can still discriminate against you at your job. Yeah, we can still fire you for it. We can still take your kids over it. We can still deny you an organ transplant over it. We can still deny you housing, but it's legal. We won't throw you in jail. It's still legal. See, that's what they think. They think they've done this huge favor, this huge service for us. What did you want? We stopped locking you up in cages. Yeah, but you're still treating us like second-class citizens. That's the problem. They don't recognize that what we said treat marijuana like alcohol didn't refer to the substances. It referred to the users of those substances. And so as we continue, we're going to have a, quite a battle on our hands because as this country makes this right turn into conservatism again, I believe that as reform goes on, it's going to hew closer to the idea of it's still reviled, it's still a culture that needs to be put down, it's still a people who need to be surveilled, but we won't lock them up anymore. I see a, I see a future coming of extreme control and paranoia. I see a possibility of, of trying to shut down. Our marijuana markets. I know so many people say, oh, it's such it's a 20 billion dollar industry by 2020 or 30 billion or whatever it's going to be. And all these jobs and all of this economic. Oh, they'll never want to turn that down. Really? You really don't think. That uh, the pendulum could swing back on this one. Because first of all, think about the states where marijuana is legalized. Other than Alaska. They're all blue states. They're all. Coastal elite states, as the Trumpkins would call it. So how much does hurting an economic engine in those states really resonate with the people who are going to be in charge? For them, it might almost be payback. I'll show you, you hippie liberals. Take away your, your next green rush. We'll take away all of the plans you had to get rich over the next decade and fund your retirement and your kid's college. You don't think they'd be that vindictive? (laughs) I lived through the Bush era, man. I, I believe they can be that vindictive. So that's one of my worries is that a lot of our... A lot of our movement people, a lot of our activism and think tank type people, especially the ones that are more connected to some of the industries out there, are painting, I think, too rosy a prognostication for what we're going to see in the next decade. And I think, you know, the blinders might be on because it's in their own best interest, right? They don't want to sound the alarm that, oh, my God, Trump's elected. He's going to pick Jeff Sessions as attorney general. And, oh, my God, the sky's going to fall. Whatever you do, stop investing. Don't invest in any of these companies, man, because, oh, the sky's going to fall. They don't want to say that. They want to keep everyone thinking, don't worry. The gravy train is still on the tracks. Keep investing. Keep pumping money into our into our fledgling little companies. Everything will be fine. There's not going to be any raids. There's not going to be any audits. There's not going to be any problems. Trump's a businessman. He loves business. He'll never he'll never direct his people to go against the legal marijuana industry. No, he likes the profit and the business. Yes, so do his rich friends and all their stock in beer and pharmaceuticals. Excellent. Isn't
9: life grand? Excellent!
4: Got all those private prisons we still need to fill. Yeah, we were going to start getting rid of the private prisons. Uh, That was one of the major things Hillary Clinton was talking about, but not no more, folks. Telling you, I don't want to be right about this, and it feels weird to be kind of in the minority saying this, but I think there are some troubled times ahead for marijuana legalization.
7: We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
5: Everyone deserves the medicine they need. Aaron's premium CBD essentials and CBD nectar products are made from plant-based organic ingredients, grown and processed in the United States. Our unique formula of coconut oil and coconut water infused with CBD oil is ideal for all skin types and provides maximum relief. Aaron's Essentials was formulated by 9-11 First Responder and Stage 4 Cancer Survivor Aaron Sieber. As a cannabis connoisseur, Aaron began making and using his own lab-tested medicinal cannabis products to help relieve the side effects of his rigorous cancer treatments. Visit www.cannosaurbrands.com for more information on Aaron's Essentials and learn how you can pay it forward. That's C-A-N-N-A-I-S-S-E-U-R brands.com. Tokers,
4: there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Bellville Show is... When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com.
1: You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
4: All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had yourself a good safety briefing. So uh, earlier today was talking about the perception of harm uh, for the kids, you know, how much they fear the marijuanas and how uh, our opponents think that it's important that the kids fear the marijuanas or else they'll start using them.
3: Oh, won't somebody please think of the children?
4: Yeah, won't we think of the children? And I I went I went through the data and showed you how there's really no good correlation between the declining perception of harm and increase or decrease in teen marijuana use. Some places the the perception of harm decreased a whole lot, but the marijuana use didn't go up. Other places, the marijuana use went up, but the perception of harm stayed the same, and vice versa, and contra, and obverse. So every different arrangement you could think of, uh, you find in this data. No clear correlation. And the reason why is because the perception of harm is a bullshit stat. <laughs> it's a bullshit stat with no baseline. See, the problem we've got is that they're trying to measure how much the kid's perception of harm has changed from before when they were fed bullshit to now when they're fed truth. When I was going to high school in the 1980s, junior high and high school, when Ronald Reagan was president, in fact, leading into, I believe my junior high, like seventh grade was when Reagan was elected. Reagan actually said, Well, I now have absolute proof that smoking one marijuana cigarette is equivalent in brain damage to being on Bikini Island during an A-bomb blast. Seriously. When I was a kid, the President of the United States told me that smoking just one pot cigarette would be like nuclear fallout to my brain. (laughs) would be like being on a a, a bombed island. It would be just as bad. Gee, I wonder what my perception of harm would have been back then. (laughs) That sounds pretty fucking scary, doesn't it? I'd have thought there's a whole lot of harm. And nowadays... Kids see hey, eight states legalized, twenty eight have medical marijuana. My friend has a cousin in Colorado who's a cancer patient who uses it. My my mom has a a, a, a sister in California who's uh, uh using it for anxiety. Uh Aunt Kathy seems okay, she seems fine. That is, the kids are getting real information. They're understanding that cannabis is a medicine. They're understanding that the regular use of it by responsible adults is of no concern. It's no big deal. So, yeah, their perception of harm has fallen. Sure, it went from, you know, scrambled eggs in the frying pan to medicine. Of course, the perception of harm went down. Speaking of the uh, scrambled eggs, (laughs) you remember that commercial, right, from back in the 80s? This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Yeah. Can I get a side order of hash browns with that? Uh, you remember that one, right? And then that was the 80s one. And then in the 90s, they redid it. You remember that one where they had, uh, was it Rachel Lee Cook? Was that the actress's name? Where she's got the, the, the pan and the eggs, and now she's smashing everything up. <laughs> well, as I was doing my uh, prep for this story... I wanted to find that audio clip, right, of uh, this is your brain on drugs guy, right? And so I was, I was going through YouTube and I found this clip, which is the original 1990s uh, this is your brain on drugs commercial, but you may not have known this. We were only shown the short version back in the 90s, the only th- the 32nd version. Apparently, there was a much longer version, an extended cut that was made for this uh This is Your Brain on Drugs uh, commercial that hasn't been seen by most people and, and has just been unearthed. Let me play this for you. I'll give you the audio for it. This is Your Brain on Drugs, the extended version.
6: This is your brain. And this is heroin. This is what happens to your brain after starting heroin. And this is what your body goes through.
3: Wait, it's not over yet. This is what your family goes through, and your friends, and your family, and your job, and your Back to the future. Any questions? Yeah, we have a lot of
4: questions.
8: Why do you have to do this to every room in the house?
3: I'm making a point, Dad. None of us do heroin, honey. What does all this symbolize? It means heroin Smashes your money.
6: Oh my god, she didn't even think it through. How else was I gonna make my point? I don't know, just send us an email. But smashing stuff is dramatic. I told you, if you wanna smash things, you go to the garage. But I need to express myself. No, you need to get a summer job. Uh, uh, my wine glasses. I got these from Pottery Barn, Rachel. Where are my stemlesses?
3: Uh, you know, I've never done heroin. But honestly, Rachel, this makes me want to. No, this is what heroin does to your life! Hold
8: on! This is way more damage than anyone on heroin has ever done. You know what people on heroin do? They sleep. Mm -hmm. And they wake up and they buy more heroin.
3: Yeah, like Stuart.
6: Wait, what? My dinner party tonight is officially completely ruined. Rachel, just go to your room, okay? You're welcome,
2: Rachel
4: shouldn't have given her that bedroom pan.
3: You bought her a bedroom pan? Uh,
4: bedroom pan.
3: Ugh, I gotta stop her.
6: Ugh. Dad can I have a bedroom pan. Oh. they that. The eggshells are like your brain. No, 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 your brain is like the yolk. The cutlery that doesn't break because that's your drive to do heroin. Sorry, I'm on a lot of coke right now.
4: There you go. The extended cut of the This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercial. Of course, that's a a parody, but uh, (laughs) a funny one at that. You can uh, see the video if you'd like and download the data and graphics from that uh, drug war data mining I did in the first hour uh, available at weednews.co. That's right, WeedNews.co, a new blog that I'm a part of that is shooting up the charts as far as marijuana news goes. You make sure to make that a hyperlink, a bookmark in your uh, in your folder there. Good Lord, I sound like my dad. Uh, <laughs> bookmark that site, WeedNews.co. Get all the latest news and information every day at WeedNews.co. Now, the uh, other news that I wanted to get to today has to do with how we are licensing people uh, to get involved in the marijuana industry. One of the big concerns that has been floated about this is how we set up roadblocks, obstacles to getting licensing that disproportionately affect minority business owning. Uh, in, in the laws, oftentimes, when they pass these for medical or for recreational uh, marijuana, And you want to get a business license, they'll say, oh, you got to meet these certain qualifications. And some of those qualifications often end up being that you were never convicted of a drug offense of like a a trafficking offense. And that naturally disqualifies a disproportionate number of black and Latino potential business owners because blacks and Latinos are more likely to have gotten busted when they were working in the illegal market. So we take all the people who've been busted in the past and say, you can't do this legally. You did it illegally, and because you got caught, you can't do it legally. Now, we don't have any such restriction for people who are doing it illegally in the past who didn't get caught. They don't have a record. They have no way of proving that they were doing this illegally in the past. So if you were a really good dealer who was either lucky enough, white enough, or careful enough or some combination thereof to not get caught, then we'll let you in the marijuana business. But if you were unlucky or just got caught, you know, however it happened, well, we're not gonna let you in. So isn't this in a sense rewarding criminals for being successful? <laughs> Doesn't it say if you were an illegal dealer or an illegal grower and you were good enough at it, sneaky enough at it, secretive enough at it to not get caught, well, then uh, we'll let you play. And who knows how much corruption works into this, right? Maybe you were one of the the big time players in the grow or the trafficking uh, illegally and had the kind of money to pay bribes to cops or to whoever to not get caught. Or maybe you were so successful at it that you did get caught, but you had the kind of money to afford the kind of lawyers to get that charge thrown off or, or uh, expunged from your record. And you're allowed to play now in the, in the legal marijuana market because you were such a good criminal and made so much money that we couldn't pin a crime to you. So we're rewarding the people who are the best criminals. I don't have a problem with that because I don't think it's criminal in the first place, buying and selling and trafficking marijuana. I I don't see a crime being committed when one person wants to sell something to another person who wants to buy it. No crime. But from their perspective, wouldn't that seem like they're rewarding the best criminals? The way I see it, Is that if you got caught in the past, that ought to be bonus points on your application. Yeah, we ought to reward people who got caught. It ought to be like our reparations for having having interrupted their business operation, for having abrogated their civil rights, for having put them in cages for no good reason. We ought to reward those people. We ought to feel bad that we did that to them. We ought to give them a benefit by letting them have a leg up in getting the legal business licenses. If we did this, it would be affirmative action for black and Latinos to get these licenses without actually being a racially based affirmative action. Because if you're a white guy that got caught, you'd still get the same points, right? You'd still get the same bonus. But since white guys were less likely to get caught, more black and Latino people will get that bonus. I like it. I like the idea of increasing minority ownership and involvement in the legal marijuana industry. And I like doing it by rewarding people for having gotten busted in the past. It's the least we could do for them. Don't you think? And besides, don't we want people who are on the criminal side to move to the legal side? If we continue to deny licensing to the people who got busted in the past, all we're doing is encouraging them to remain on the criminal side. We're not going to let them make a buck with a license, so they'll just keep making a buck the way they've been making a buck. Alright, we're going to take a break. i got more to say about that with a word on the licensing fees when we return.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late.
4: I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Washington, it, it has passed. Uh, the uh, the news organizations are calling it. So they just did call it for yeah. Tell everybody in the red states how great legal weed is. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to legal weed here in the state of Oregon. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at six Eastern, three Pacific, exclusively on
1: CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabet since
4: 2012.
1: Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
4: All right, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the licensing of legal marijuana, whether it be uh, recreational or medical, and some of the uh, obstacles that get placed in the way of people wanting to legally be involved in the commerce of cannabis. And uh, this brings me to a story that I picked up off the wire from uh, Arkansas Online, and the title of it is to grow medical marijuana in Arkansas, it's $15,000 to ask. Yeah, what they're referring to here is an application fee that's been determined by the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Commission. On Tuesday, they decided that anybody who just wants to apply, you just want to apply to grow medical marijuana in Arkansas, it's going to cost you fifteen grand. Now, if they deny your application, they'll give you half of it back. So it's going to cost you $7,500 to get a no $15,000 to get a yes. And of course, uh, Arkansas is going to be one of these uh, places that limits how many licenses there's going to be. So yeah, 7,500 bucks down the tubes. If you get a no now, uh, During the meeting of this commission, they discussed on what the annual license fee itself should be. So keep in mind, folks, this application fee, this $15,000 that you're putting down, just to turn in a piece of paper, does nothing for your annual licensing fee. You're still going to have to pay thousands of dollars if you're approved. So $15,000 just to get a yes then once you got the yes, you're going to have to spend tens of thousands of dollars after that to have the license. Now, we don't know what that number will be because they, they tabled that discussion. They're not going to set what that's going to be yet. But as they discussed it, they said that the uh, medical marijuana program is going to cost between four and six million dollars a year. And they say the tax revenue will only come up to about two and a half million a year. And that's why they need to have such high application fees and licensing fees is to make up the uh, the difference between all of that. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, because these marijuana programs throughout the United States, why they they're always running a deficit, aren't they? <laughs> No, folks, let me tell you In the state of Oregon We've had a medical marijuana program since 1998 There has yet to be a year That that program has not turned a profit There has never been a year That the medical marijuana program in Oregon Has failed to generate a surplus So much so that the legislature passed laws That allowed them to dip into that surplus And spend that money elsewhere Against our wishes, of course So when they make these these uh, predictions that, oh, my God, we're going to have to have such high fees because we'll never be able to pay off. the It's all bullshit, folks. It's all smoke and mirrors. They're just trying to make that surplus as big as they possibly can. Now, should be noted that Oregon has some of the highest medical marijuana card fees in the country, maybe the highest. It's 200 bucks to get your medical marijuana card where other states like Colorado, it's 15 dollars. Colorado actually passed their law making it so that the cost of the fee was indexed to the uh, operation of the program. So if it becomes cheaper to operate the program, the fee actually goes down, not Oregon. Our fee was originally a hundred bucks. They decided the surpluses they were getting weren't quite large enough. Let's raise it to 200. So when they talked about what the low, what the licensing fees should be, uh, one of the council, uh, members, one of these, uh, commission members said uh, pointed out that uh, Connecticut charges a hundred thousand dollars a year for its licensing fees. There's a couple of states, Colorado and Massachusetts. You take a look at their medical marijuana programs. They have similar exorbitant non-refundable fees for their medical marijuana application program. And they require that anyone that applies has to show, I think in Massachusetts, I think it's a half million dollars. I think in Connecticut, it's $2 million. They got to show that they have that much money in escrow. So when they set these ridiculously high fees, all they're doing is once again, guaranteeing that the people owning the industry are largely going to be white men. Because again, throughout history, We have a a racist system that has prevented the accumulation of wealth among black and Latino families. Look it up, man. Look up redlining. (laughs) Just Just start with redlining and go from there. So you set these super high fees and then, yeah, it's harder for black and Latino business owners to get in because they don't have the same wealth networks that the white owners have. But regardless, even just take the racial element out of it. You set your fee at $15,000 non-refundable, and the only types of people that can get involved are the kind of people that got money already. You're talking about rich people getting in on the green rush to get richer. If we really want this to be an economic engine that helps to raise up average people, we've got to make the barriers the kind of barriers average people can clear instead of reserving the marijuana market, reserving the marijuana industry to the people that are already capitalized, already wealthy, already less likely to suffer the harms of marijuana prohibition. $15,000 non-refundable fee. There's another uh, story I wanted to bring up. Uh, This one's out of citypages.com from Minnesota. And it kind of goes along the same lines of some of my posts recently, where as we continue the reform of marijuana laws, as we have one fifth of the country, 21% of the people now living in a state where marijuana is legal and about 60% of the country living in a state where medical marijuana is legal the draconian sentences people get for marijuana are becoming harder and harder and harder for people to countenance. These multi-year sentences for people involved with marijuana in one state where they'd be just doing business in another state is starting to engender a cognitive dissonance for people, even people that aren't involved in the marijuana movement. And this comes to us... In stunning relief from the city pages story entitled a Minnesota man just got four years for prison, four years in prison for marijuana in 2016. And it's out of South Minneapolis. Uh, a man by the name of Stephen Yang was charged with or pled guilty to first degree drug possession with intent to sell 258 pounds of marijuana. In Minnesota, 258 pounds of marijuana. And so he was sentenced by Judge Gina Brandt to 74 months in prison. In a Minnesota state prison, 74 months. This guy is going to get out around New Year's Day 2021. We've got about the next five years, six years, That's six years, isn't it? 72 months would be yeah, this six years, six years, two months that this guy got. So he's going to get out somewhere around 2021, they say. Maybe it's with good behavior. Yeah. So really, his sentence is going to run into 2022. Six years in 2017 would be 2023. Hmm. So, yeah, good behavior. He's out in 2021. If he serves his entire sentence, he'll be in till 2023. So we're going to put a guy in prison for 6 years. Now now granted 268 pounds of marijuana, 200 yeah, 258 pounds of marijuana. A lot of marijuana, no doubt about it. No doubt about we're talking about trafficking levels, right? But we're also talking about an amount of marijuana that in a Colorado or Washington or Oregon or Alaska pot shop would not really raise an eyebrow. We had four states pass legalization this year. We've got the Gallup poll sitting at 60% for support of legalization. So when Minnesota goes and sentences a guy to six years for marijuana, it's starting to raise some eyebrows and it really starts to raise some eyebrows when people start comparing it to the sentences people get for other crimes. Just what was it? Uh, in September, the same judge, who uh, or the same uh, uh, county, I should say, prosecuted a man who swindled. He was a financial advisor, and he swindled two elderly women out of more than two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So, for taking advantage of two old folks for almost a quarter million dollars, a man named John Heath just less last September got sentenced. To 45 months in prison. Got that? Rip off two old people for a quarter million, you get 45 months. 258 pounds of marijuana, you get 74 months. Now, nobody was harmed by the marijuana. That shipment of marijuana. Nobody could have been killed. Apparently, if this guy... uh if Stephen Yang wanted to make a whole bunch of money, he should have just ripped off old people instead of trying to sell marijuana. At least that's what Minnesota's telling me. In fact, one day, according to the story, one day before they busted Yang for the for the marijuana, the day before there was this woman who caused a hit and run accident that killed a person run, ran into someone, killed them, drove off. This woman was sentenced to 45 months, 45 months for hitting someone with your car and then driving off 74 months for trying to sell marijuana. And it's just becoming more and more impossible for the average person to hear that kind of story. And think that there's any sort of justice involved. It's just becoming more and more untenable for people to support this kind of injustice. When they see pot shops in Colorado generating millions of dollars in tax revenue to build schools. When they see pot shops in Washington state generating millions and millions of dollars in revenue to help the state. How do you justify locking up. Rip off artists and hit and run manslaughter causers, manslaughterers. How do you justify locking them up 45 months, locking up the guy for weed 74? Well, according to the Hennepin County attorney, why marijuana is 10 to 100 times stronger. I want to get some of that marijuana that's 100 times stronger. You got any of that? <laughs> All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Stay tuned.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
7: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network.
9: Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play.
2: It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers?
4: Midnight, July 1st, 2015. Adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Normal.
1: The Russ Bellville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009.
4: The International Cannabis Business Conference comes to San Francisco, California on February 16th and 17th, 2017. The ICBC San Francisco. Northern California's first business-to-business event since the recent historic election will bring together top state regulators and industry leaders to discuss permits, business models, and opportunities within the newly enacted laws and landscape. Of course, the ICBC also famously offers some of the best cannabis industry networking, Leveraging our worldwide following to connect wholesalers, brands, distributors, investors, and strategic partners. And don't forget to come early for our VIP reception and stay late for our legendary after party. Join us for the longest continuously running cannabis business conference in California at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square. The one and only International Cannabis Business Conference. Visit internationalcbc.com for tickets today.
1: Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that.
4: This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. As we close up shop today, another bit of information about the applications for medical marijuana licensing. We talked about how the fees are too high. We talked about how the requirements are too onerous. And now we're going to talk a little bit about how much data is being sucked up in these. Because we just got news from CBS uh, out of Nevada where uh, the Nevada state government website has leaked the personal data on over 11,700 applicants for dispensing medical marijuana in the state. Each application, eight pages in length, includes the person's full name, home address, citizenship, weight, height, race, eye color, hair color, uh, driving license number, and social security number. Yep. This isn't a hack, folks. This it, wasn't hacked and released. This is just some bad programming on their website that allows someone who knows how to use Google the right way to be able to just suck up personal data, social security numbers on people. 11,700 people that have applied. And this is a part of a form, by the way, uh, that also requires that, that must be submitted electronically. Uh, Nevada does an all electronic sort of thing and is included with a fingerprint submission form. So people could link up your fingerprints with this social security number and your address and your name and your birth date and all your identifying information. How's that sound? Here we go, folks. Yet another way in which this treating marijuana as if it were plutonium having to track it from seed to sale and know every single detail about the people that are buying, selling and producing it. Another example where this is biting us on the ass, where we are being treated differently than people that want to sell just about anything else out there. Or even if we, uh, if we grant that maybe some other, some other types of businesses require this level of uh, intrusion and inspection they're not letting that information go out over their internet portals without enough security are they heard any uh, data leaks from the people that uh, that that run uh, distilleries or breweries lately people applying for liquor licenses or pharmacy licenses heard any major leak problems with them lately nope Nope, don't see that happening very often. But with marijuana data, huh? What do you know? And keep in mind, folks, that some of the people that are applying for these dispensaries and such uh, might want that information to remain private, not just because they don't want people hacking their social security number and all that kind of stuff, but just because maybe public knowledge of them being in the marijuana industry hurts their other business opportunities, their other uh, areas in their life. (laughs) 11,700 <laughs> Amazing all right, folks, that's all the time we got for today. Time flies when you legalize. Thanks for joining us here for our two hours of talk and data and analysis every day, at least every weekday that's not a federal holiday or a travel day, right here on CannabisRadio.com. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios in beautiful, legal southeast Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers!
1: This is the Rust Bellville show. The Rust Belleville show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a seat, you
3: plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you just one. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you just one. You take a scene, you plan it, you're growing, you're dying, you're rolling, you're you grow it, you're growing, you're dying, you're rolling, you're you try it, you roll it, you one. Get it all down to bed.